0: Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2016. We will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 91 in the third paragraph beginning where it says, see your man alone if possible. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Lois M., for the 12 traditions, Lisa B., and our readers of the text will be Carolyn S. H., Kelly S., and Rebecca F. The reference number for Wednesday, August 17th, is 9003. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states each group has one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois M. to read the 12 steps. Lois?
1: Good morning, everyone. This is Lois M. in Massachusetts, recovered and grateful today. Uh, The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and, and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of of him excuse me praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out 12 having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs thank you and I pass
2: thank you Lois
1: I will now ask Lisa B to read the 12 traditions
2: good morning this is Lisa B a
3: recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville South Carolina the 12 traditions of overeaters anonymous one our common welfare should come first personal recovery depends upon OA unity To carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. 6. An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non professional We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Lisa
0: B. And how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 91 in the third paragraph, beginning where it says, See Your Man Alone, If Possible. We'll be reading two paragraphs and sharing on the first the, the first paragraph read or the third, second paragraph read. I will now ask Carolyn S.H. to begin reading, page 91. See your man alone, if possible. Carolyn?
4: Was I muted? Can you hear me now?
0: I can hear you.
4: Thank you. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Visionaries. Carolyn S.H. Recovered... uh, Compulsive eater from Massachusetts, see your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, Commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Okay, I'm setting my timer. Um, these are so, so, these paragraphs are so interesting. The directions are so clear. Um, and I have sometimes um, been good at doing this and sometimes not so good at doing this. What it's describing to me is basically matching um Meeting your prospect where he or she is, um, the mood they're in, um, they're kind of you know are they talkative are they not talkative is it heavy is it light, and just kind of being with them and being where they are, and just presenting your presenting myself um, as who I am and presenting my history as it is like the reality of it, um, hiding nothing, and uh, the part that I've needed to learn. I'm in the first paragraph. Now, the part that I've needed to learn about how to do this is, um, in the past, I, I have worked for in a physician's office, and there's a saying that physicians have when patients come in and they can't describe their symptoms or they can't describe like how long they felt a certain way or something, or
5: what diseases they've
4: suffered from. They call them bad historians. And, um, I have been a bad historian when it comes to my, uh, eating disorder, my, my disease. Um, and for the sake of others, for the sake of helping others, um, recover, it's important that I become a good historian. Um, because that is how someone's going to identify and want to listen to me. Um, otherwise I just seem like a, like someone else trying to change them or fix them, like we talked about in earlier paragraphs um and that doesn't work um, and then the second paragraph about um when you see like so once you've like described your history and he gets uh he or she gets that i'm a I'm a real overeater, I'm a real um problem eater um and then I know about the the eating game. Um, then I can identify myself i can tell identify that I have a disease um and i've even uh, I've said that to people um uh last week, I was in a professional environment, and someone um professed to like a room full of thirty people um that he um had a food problem. <laughs> And um and I was in the room and um so after I didn't say anything in front of thirty people but afterwards I walked up to him so this is also the so like get your man alone um and I said you know I had I had a problem too um and because of my little size um he's a big guy he didn't believe me he he literally called me a liar uh, and then I started to tell him things and um, the way that I that I ate, and the way I was addicted to sugar. And he goes, oh, okay, I believe that. <laughs> um, and then in the second paragraph, um, my time's up. So I'll just say um, that I, I think this is the first time I've actually read this sentence and realized uh, that they give very clear instructions about, we suggest that you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. So there's actually... Uh, a very specific guide to follow in order to describe, like, the mental twist and what led um, to the behavior uh, and describe the mental inconsistencies. So my time's up, so I'll end there, um, and I'm very grateful for um, having done this service. with that I pass. Thank you, Carolyn
0: S.H. Who else would like to share on either of these paragraphs at uh, the bottom of 91? and the Laura G.? Paula D. Hi, Laura, G. Laura G. Laura
6: <laughs> G. Laura G. Kathy
0: K. K. Kathy K. Paula D. <laughs> I got you, Paula. You're first. Paula G, then Laura <laughs> oh, G, then Kathy K. Was there someone else? Nessa,
7: Nessa R.
0: Nessa Tina R.
7: S. Shannon T-
0: F. Tina S. Shannon S.
2: <laughs> Amy E.
0: Amy E. Okay, was there anyone else? Paula D., Laura G., Kathy, G., Kathy K., Nessa R., Tina S., Shanna S., Amy E. Anyone else? Okay, let's get started. Paula, good morning.
8: And good morning to you, and thank you for the service this morning. What a privilege to be here. This would be Paula D., currently in New Hampshire, recovered by and with the grace of God. You know, what beautiful paragraphs, but, you know, there's so much depth into in them. And, you know, may I start here? You will thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. We are all so different, but here we come into with the sameness. But I want to go on here. If he is not communicative, and you'll know, guess how you'll know? He won't be talking. He won't be looking. He doesn't want to be there. Neither did I. Look at what it says. Give him a sketch. My idea was to, wow, blast him out of the water. And that's when it changed. What's a sketch? Oh, it's not all the lines filled in, but the lines are there. And they go somewhere, and they put a picture together. But only the beginnings. That's enough. That's enough. And then I love the way it goes on. And look at how it goes on, the ups and downs. If he's light. But I love not moralizing or lecturing. Because that's my first instinct. Well, let me tell you. No. Let God tell you. But then it moves on to the bottom of the page. And we see movement here. When he sees you know all about the drinking game. And what a game it is. A game that always leaves you down, never brings you up. It seems that it does. Can you see him coming with you now? Commence to describe another word. Tell him how baffled you were. You know, each each line, you know, I'd like to add, because I've been there. I've been there and I've also been with the other. Wow. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. This is when he really listens. What, you too? Because you're right. Sometimes we're in a different size body. And they look at it like, that can't be true. They don't know that. But as soon as you say the words and they hear, they stop. But I'll tell you the part that I love. I, it just, it makes it all come along. The mental twist. You had them? Me too. Me too mindful of my time here and it seems to be coming to a close when you're with the person be mindful of their time respectful of it this is why so important the words you use the care you show and then it ends with or maybe i should say it begins with if he is alcoholic he will understand you at once what happens what happens Something comes together, and then he will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own, something that we would never do. Let me tell you about my successes. No, not here. Here we come together with our failures. Thank you for allowing me this time to share. With that, I do pass. Thanks, Paula. And Laura G., it's your turn,
0: and Kathy Kay, you'll be up next. And then that's
6: the Good morning. This is Laura G. calling from Virginia. And um, I love this group. I'm so grateful that I found Vision for You and that you all are here. Um, I have an aunt who um, is a Nazi OA, a food Nazi. And by doing exactly what these paragraphs say not to do, she has. Um, She has just turned everybody in my family away from um, food recovery. And um, she's well-meaning. But what we do is we'll go out to dinner and she will, after we get our food, she will go around and tell everybody what is the matter with the food that they've ordered and what they should have gotten. And she does it in front of everybody. And I realized that I was letting my resentment towards her kill me with my food addiction. And um I finally realized with the grace of God that I wasn't gonna do that. Let her let her bad behavior kill me. And um you know so what I do now is when I visit my family I don't say anything to them. I keep my eyes on my own plate. We my whole family. Has this disease, and um, I'm just watching it kill every one of them. And I'm just so grateful that um, I have found recovery from food addiction. But you know, we're to be helpful, that's what it says. We are to be helpful, we're to get to know the person. And when I have a sponsee, I don't, I find out about them, I don't expect them. To write for forty five minutes twenty five minutes a day if they have arthritis in their hands, I don't expect them to make phone calls if they work in a situation where they can't use the phone. you know it's they we're to, we're to help people find their higher power that's what we're to do so that they can recover and I'm grateful.
2: Thank you much. Thanks for sharing, Laura.
0: And
9: Kathy Kay, it's your turn, and then Nessa R., and then Tina S. Hi, Sally. This is Kathy Kay. Thank you for your service. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And um, these two paragraphs um, remind me how much I have evolved as a sponsor. Um, I do so much less talking today. Than I did when I first started sponsoring, um, and because I learned through experience how important it was to tailor how I work with someone to their experience and their um, comfort level with certain kinds of communication. Um, so uh, this idea of listening to to the potential sponsee, and uh, only speaking when you can um, match his mood or her mood um, and be careful not to moralize or lecture. Um, I can remember I was so enthusiastic at first about sharing the message that I could easily get into um, trying to sell the program. And this never worked in the long term. Um, I also know that even now, uh, when I sponsor beyond the very beginning, when we first get together and start to get to know each other, my inclination is to do more listening than talking throughout the process. Um, I choose my words very carefully Um, to punctuate points in the big book that are not only italicized but have come to be very meaningful to me in terms of how I work my program of recovery. And so when we read a chapter together, um, sometimes the sponsees will want to hear all the expertise from me, and I – I know that what's what's equally important, if not in, e- even more important, is they have an art, an ability, and an opportunity to articulate what a particular sentence or paragraph means for them. So it's a balancing act, it's, but it certainly involves more listening than talking, for me and. And even though I'm listening, I'm creating the structure and the opportunity to learn the wisdom of the big book. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank
10: you, Kathy Kay.
0: And Nessa R., it's your turn. Then Tina S., then
11: Shannon
10: S. Hi, good morning. Uh, Vision for you. This is Nessa R. recovered in Toronto, Canada. There's a lot of uh, very, very important instructions here on how, to approach a newcomer, a sponsee, or even somebody outside of the rooms. And I just want to focus on, on two, which I think are linked. The first one is tell them about the problem as it was manifested in myself. And two, don't tell them about the solution um, just yet. And I, I see two main reasons for that. Number one, because... Somebody who doesn't believe they have a problem or who doesn't understand the nature of the problem has no need for a solution, so it's premature, um, and they may not be desperate enough to um, understand or to want to grab the the drastic measures that we, um, that we use to recover and stay recovered by way of the steps. So we don't want to scare them away. Um, the second one is that I have no more credibility than a well-meaning doctor or relative who offers frothy emotional appeal because when they see you, they see somebody in a normal body. And how, what do you know how I feel like, right? Like you're not fat or, or whatever. You don't, I, I need to convey to them that I've been where they are that I've done what they're doing, that I I felt what they're feeling, that I thought the way they're thinking right now. And the only way I can do that is by telling them my story, by telling them about my problem, to get them to identify in so that I can build that credibility that, yes, I am like you. I may not look like you right now, and I may not behave or think like you right now, but I was there. I was there, and I'm not there anymore, and that's a big message to deliver. You know, this will get them to reach that place of, of desperation, but also of hope, that not only somebody there understands, but also they have solved their um, their problem. And so that's why we tell them about the problem and not the solution just yet. And I pass.
0: Thank you, Nessa R. And Tina S., it's your turn, and then Shanna, and then Amy E.
12: Thanks, Sally. Uh, Tina S., Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Some great shares this morning. Glad to be on the line. Uh, yeah, when this when these paragraphs were first read this morning, I thought, well, you know, this is great stuff, you know, attraction rather than promotion. And, and you know, and, and to be honest, you know, I love what it says here, but I, and somebody else shared it, know, I'm not always doing this, so when it was read, I thought, oh, man, you know, I need to really be sticking to the directions here, and I like what people talk about. These are instructions, and if I do them, I get the results. It's when I don't do them that I it's, I get a little shady here, and, and you know, and I also... Uh, and over time, have gotten better at this, you know, to to be right where that person is. And I love that 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 was shared because if I can get there to be understanding and um and to listen, you know, I am on that boat too. Sometimes, you know, I'm I, I'm a talker, you know, and my big excuse for that is in my disease, I never talk. So now, you know, I'm a talker, but you know, I want to be able to for for them to relate to me also. And, and when I can get to that point of, you know, a lot of times I see people shaking their head. Not necessarily do they say that they, you know, they know that I understand, but when I see them shaking their head or or their eyes get a little brighter, you know, then I know that you know, maybe they're interested now. You know, and I like, like also what I talked about, don't necessarily talk about the solution, but I gotta talk about the journey, you know. And, and it is but a journey, you know, because there is no destination. So if I can, and it says commence, you know, I start to tell them about my journey in recovery in, uh, in living one day at a time, not in that same space that they were, you know, because I've been there, done that. And, uh, you know, some, some phenomenal stuff here. And, you know, I just have to, for myself, have to know that there are specific directions in this book that if I use them, I get that result. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Tina S. And Shanna and then Amy E. Hi, this is Shannon F. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, forgive me, Shannon. I didn't realize it was Shannon. Go right ahead no we hear you.
7: No worries. You got a pretty heavy-duty job, so all is well. Um, Shannon F. from Duluth, Minnesota. Um, what this paragraph brought up to me today is, am I trying to sound like the car salesman for OA? Because we've all been driving like let's say in our car at a certain period of the day and you hear those obnoxious car commercials where they're trying to sell things. And I notice like that is what I want to drift away from in order to be effective. So if I sound like Oh, OA is great, we got such a great deal for you. Recovery's here. Come do this, do that, get your deal done. I mean, if it sounds like that, if I'm just like blasting them with messages, they're already overwhelmed by the fact that they now have to be um put at step one. You know, nobody likes to admit complete um, defeat so they're already at that point and I remember back when I was coming to this point if somebody were to just start compulsively talking to me um and sharing like message after message after message without like taking a break and let me letting me say a sentence I would have spaced out of them um so I found that what works is for me to have the chameleon effect Not to be something that I'm not, but put on a different um, skin for them to be able to relate to me. So I like to think, where are they at on the ladder of recovery? And come down to whatever step they're on on the ladder. Um, So if they're feeling like energetically heavy and somber and full of despair, I'm not going to... Um, try and make recovery look like a huge parade in sunshines and butterflies and rainbows. Um, I'm going to bring on the the emotional tone of compassionate, loving, and caring um, because I know that when I'm at a certain mood in certain days, you know, if there's another person in the room that's like, yippee, skippy! life is great, go do this, I just, I want to tune out on them. Um, and I also learned this one awesome quote Um we have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth for for a good reason. So do double the listening, do double the seeing on what they're trying to say, and talk a little less. And I always use questions. So if they're not willing to disclose a lot, use gentle questions and let them answer based on on that. And from one question can build into another question. Um, so not in an interrogative way, but just something to show that we care about what they think, we care about where they're at. Um, if they're at that point of being open to listen and get into recovery, at least consider it. So these are my top things that I am really starting to grow in with recovery because it was a lot different and a lot more obnoxious when I started to do this. So I thank you guys all for teaching me so much and helping me grow and I'm so grateful to be on these meetings. So I'm sending blessings to all of you guys today. Um, Shannon from Duluth, Minnesota, I pass. Thank you guys.
0: Thank you Shannon. and Amy E it's your turn and I'm going to jump in here for a turn
13: right after that. Amy? Hi, thanks a lot. It's uh Amy E in Ohio. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Excellent. Thanks. Hold on a second while I start my timer. Here it. we go. First of, go all, a, um, First of all, a thanks. Uh, First of all, I just uh, um have to laugh when it talks about um humorous stories of my escapades you know i have that with my drinking i don't have that with my eating i don't have a lot of humorous stories i found it really incomprehensibly demoralizing and shameful from the get-go um and i don't know what that is but there's something about binging that it doesn't bring a lot of uh you know hey funny escapade stories at least for me um I, I love the line here about, we suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. And that threw me back into the chapter, more about alcoholism, chapter three, just to see how Bill lays out the argument here. And I just wanted to review that with you. Um, he starts off by talking about the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed and that no real compulsive overeater ever recovers control and then he goes on to describe some of the methods we've tried to control, in this case drinking, but in our case compulsive overeating. So that's where we talk about the diet. And we talk about, you know, for me, oh, if I eat organic, it's okay. If I have turbinado sugar and agave nectar, that's fine. I don't do refined sugar. You know, all these different ways that I tried this. Whole wheat, hey, if I eat whole wheat flour instead of refined flour, that's better? Uh, no, it didn't work for me. Um, it, it talks about um, suggesting that people try controlled eating to see controlled eating of their alcoholic substances to see if they're one of us. Uh, it also talks about the man with the carpet slippers who um, was bone dry for a long, long time and that you know the equivalent is uh, getting thin, um, reaching goal weight, and then thinking that that entitles us to go back to compulsive overeating or eating, thinking that we can eat our uh, addictive substances without any consequences. That peculiar mental twist, the story of Jim with the um, whiskey in the milk and Fred, uh, no cloud on the horizon, crossing over the threshold and thinking, oh, uh, a cocktail would be great with dinner. So um, I I love the progression in which... uh, alcoholism is described in this chapter and it gives me a good outline in describing my compulsive overeating when approaching a, a newcomer. Thanks, I pass.
0: Thanks, Amy. I'm um, Sally, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Jersey. And I'm just going to step in here for a moment. I've got a timer set as well. And um, there's a couple of thoughts that I have about this. So we've got all these really beautiful directions um, on working with others, very specific directions And why are they giving us these directions? They're very, very clear about that on page 92 in the first sentence of that next paragraph. I'm just going to dip into that next paragraph. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So what they're telling us is that what we're really doing here is we're establishing can this person identify in with me? Does this person have what I have? Because it's just not as simple as just if you happen to be overweight or if you happen to have a problem with not eating enough, that you might have what I have. Because the truth of the matter is I've I've marveled in my years and years and years of back and forth in the program of going to Weight Watchers, people that lost weight that did not have what I had. They just needed some structure. They needed a food plan that worked for them, and they needed to be educated in in the right way to feed their bodies. And they lost the weight, and they exercised, and they, uh, they understood the basic components of uh, what goes in your body, a certain amount of calories in, a certain amount of exercise out, that you're, you know, evening things out and you're losing weight and along the way you come out even. And those people do not have what I have. So it's important for me to have this conversation and in fact to do a lot of listening. And let me tell you, I I read these paragraphs and I I shudder in my boots because I wasn't a good listener. I was very much rude even to people and say, quiet, you want what I have, do what I did and, and listen to me and Oh my goodness, the things I used to say to people that just I just I'm grateful that I have grown drastically. And one thing I have learned is to really listen to to them, to certainly throw a few ideas out there to see if they can identify with me and to see if they have what I have. Because why would I want to take all this time to talk about my disease if they don't have it? I really do not want to discuss my disease with anyone, not my children, not a friend, or anyone who doesn't have what I have. It's just a waste of my time and my breath. And the other thought that I wanted to say to you here at the top of 92, we're we're given these directions starting at the bottom of 91. Describe yourself, how baffled you were how you finally learned that you were sick, give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. And here's the most important part, because he says it two times in the paragraph, show him the mental twist. And he goes on to say, he will match your mental inconsistencies. Always remember that our disease, and I'm ending with this sentence here, begins with that mental twist. I'll end with the top of 35. So we shall describe... Some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. For obviously, this is the crux of the problem. It's what's going on between our ears. That's the crux of the problem. Thanks for letting me share. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs before we go Chris, forward? Thank Barbara, Larry, Chris, well, I heard Barbara, I heard Larry, I heard. Melissa, hold on one second before you guys throw any more names at me. Chrissy, did I hear you, Chrissy G.? You did. Oh, good. And then I heard Barbara, and then I heard Larry, and then I heard Melissa. Was there anyone else? Okay, good. Let's go with that. Chrissy G., you're up, and then we'll hear Barbara, and then Larry. Linda R. Okay, thank you, Linda. We'll throw you on the end of that list.
2: Chrissy, hi Chrissy G, recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. I had a phone call yesterday that was very, very interesting. I, um, I had someone call me and she, she wanted help. She wanted help, and I, I tried to, exp- I was explaining how the thinking is really. What's disordered, and then my food became disordered, and how my thinking. So I was talking about, I was trying to relate with her on the the thinking, the how I'm mentally sick, how I have a mental twist that that precedes exactly what Sally was saying that precedes my my overeating or undereating, and it was very interesting because she she was in. She was in mental. She was in a mental, um, in, in mental pain, and I wanted to help her go through a 10th step. And we were. She wanted to do that work, and we went through it. And it was interesting because it became it became an um, like contentious. She didn't. She didn't want to be a part in what she was doing. And I find that. The, the ego, the disease is so powerful and I'm, I'm completely of the opinion that when the disease is strong and in charge of that person, there is nothing I can say to convince a person. And the only thing I could do is say, you know, when I need to feel better and I want to feel better, I'm willing to look at my part because that's the only thing that releases me from the bondage of self. When I could say, "Okay, I see how I set this ball rolling," so you know, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep trying. I take whatever phone calls come my way, but I, I definitely have no problem saying, "I'm sorry, but you seem as if you wanted help, but you also seem as if you don't want to hear what I have to say." So please call me back if you change your mind. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Chrissy G. And
2: Barbara, I didn't get your first
0: initial
3: of your last name.
14: Thank you. This is Barbara B., Recovered Compulsive reader in Massachusetts. I like very much being called back to the reminder that the unity that I feel with another person is in the pain at first. Otherwise, that person is the position I was in in so much of my life. Nobody understood, whether it was a doctor who didn't get what I was being uh, talking about with distress, or a clergy person or a friend or whatever. They didn't get it because they didn't live through it. They weren't addicted. They didn't do with food and with behaviors what I did. It wasn't until I came to the rooms where a person could look me in the eye and know what I was talking about because she had been through it. And i didn't really understand or want to hear at that point about being happy joyous and free because i was in the pain i needed the unity that comes in the pain and i'm glad to be reminded that that's what brings me close to another person and i know what they're talking about that i've been there and i don't even have to step ahead i used to come on like blockbusters you know trying to convert trying to get on the bandwagon my approach, and I'm glad to be reminded of it, is to be united in the pain. And as God has it evolve, we'll then be united in the recovery. Uh, so I'm very glad to to look at that this morning. Thanks, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Barbara D. And Larry, it's your turn. And then Melissa, you'll be up.
11: Thanks, Sally. Uh, Larry K. Recover Compulsive Reader, thanks for your service. You know, I've, I've heard it said um, that these steps are kind of like walking up a down escalator. You know, if you, if you keep moving, you can, you can get to the next level. But, of course, if you slow down or stop moving, it, it brings you right back down to where you, where you came from. So, again, we're, we're reading about how to carry this message, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And it's like, okay, hey, congratulations. You're, you're now living in the sunlight of the Spirit. That's that's fantastic. But the spiritual awakening is just the first part of step 12. You know, now we have to do some things to sustain this uh, restorative transformation or we're headed right back down the escalator. So, you know, um, you know, when I dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady, it's telling me how to do this, you know. You know, that you know, I talked the the fact that my very best thinking could not keep me away from the pizza and the Skittles and the milk duds and all that kind of stuff, that no matter how long I had been dieting, and man, oh man, I don't know about you, but I was a pretty good dieter. No matter how long I had been dieting, my binge foods would pull me back like a magnet into the swamp of despair, you know, it would bring me back again and again and it was just it was demoralizing. <laughs> The food, you know, I talk about. The food was so powerful that it came before everything: parenting, work, intimate relationships, family, friends, finances, health. Everything it came first. If I really looked at it, it came first. And so I dwell on the hopeless feature of this malady, you know. And uh, and then, of course, you know, they have the opportunity to talk about what their experiences and you kind of. You know, through self-disclosure, that's very powerful when you're disclosing your truth, what it was like. And, you know, when, when I do that, um, just as the big book instructs me to do, then people feel more comfortable sharing their experience. You know, there's someone on the line that might have had uh, liposuction surgery the way I did or is considering having it. That's where this disease took me with my great intellect. My great you know, intellect, it took me to the point where that, that was about my best thinking, that I could not control the food, so I'm going to suck the fat right out of my my belly, and I did, and it didn't work. I should have got a refund because my brain hadn't been changed. See, when I share that, other people, that it resonates, and they may disclose as well, and that's the starting point. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Larry. And Melissa, it's your turn, and then Linda R., you're up.
15: Hi, good morning, Sally. Good morning everyone. It's Melissa Say, recovered compulsive Overeater from New York. And you know, it, it's um really clear to me here that uh so much of this conversation yes it's for the newcomer, but it's really it's really for myself because um it keeps me really connected with the pain. Um, you know, when when you're living in the solution, um and your and life you know begins to take on a new a new twist a new angle. I don't often um revisit my pain with quite the same intensity, but when you're working with a new person and you're really you know looking to connect in with them, that's the piece that that binds us and um and it gets me really connected again with my struggles you know i I tell people that um about my struggles about all of my diet. All of my fantasies of magical Mondays—you know, where some Monday was going to come and there's going to be a new Melissa who could walk away from the food—I um, tell my prospect that, you know, that by the time I left work that same Monday, I was already running back to the food, and um, and how I found that those Mondays grew further and further apart, and and then a regular Monday was no longer good enough. Um, you know, it had to be a Monday following a big holiday, and. If I ate anything extra before Halloween, then I was screwed because that meant there's nothing I could do until after New Year's because there was Thanksgiving and Christmas, and and my disease meant I could gain 30 pounds between Halloween and New Year's. And, you know, my prospect hears me say that I would forget every time just how bad the food controls me, that, um, you know, every time I put the food down, there would be some ridiculous reason why just a little extra bite or taste made perfect sense. And, you know, I tell them I have a form of food senility and that I am the real deal. I'm a food addict. You know, I name my disease. I love when I hear someone on this line say that he talks about food like heroin, that he injects it in the things. And, um, you know, my story is not just someone who likes food a lot or need to make better nutritional choices. Um, that what I suffer from means I have no choices. And, you know, that's how I describe my disease. And then I let my prospect identify in or out.
2: And they either
15: say, wow, I've never done that. Or they say, oh, crap, that's me. And it's the second response that I can offer some hope to. And um, that's the importance here. Thank you. Without all pass.
0: Thank you, Melissa. And Linda
15: R., your turn. Thank you, Sally. Good morning, Sally and fellows. This is Linda R. Recovered in uh, North Carolina. Very grateful to the fellowship, and thank you for your service. Um, when, When I first came into program and I found my original sponsor, I heard her at a meeting, and when I was at the meeting, I connected immediately with her. I related to her. I identified with her. I wanted what she had. So that was the original basis for working with this person, I was attracted to her. You know, we say attracted, not promotion. No, attraction, not promotion. And then we began to work together. And, you know, as she took me through the steps in the big book, it was the words in the big book. You know, first of all, we would share. And I, became, I began to trust her because when I came in, I had no trust. I had such fear and I was such shame. So through this relationship that I believe is a partnership, just like a marriage, it's just like any kind of intimate relationship. It had to grow and build, and the trust had to grow and build. So that's how I sponsor today. I sponsored the way I was sponsored by many people. I've been sponsored, you know, by different people in the, in the times that I've been in this program, which is my whole life. I've been in the program many years. So I've gotten different approaches and have developed with God the, my own eclectic approach to sponsorship, which is, you know, relationship-based. And when I sponsor now, it's the words in the big book where when I read with my sponsee, when I read the doctor's opinion, we pause, we stop. I ask the sponsee, do you relate to this? How do you feel about it? You know, it's like an interchange of, of words and feelings to build that trust when I get to that fourth step. And the fifth step, which, you know, it's like, you know, It's kind of really, it's a very spiritual growing experience of relationships in the program. So I just wanted to share that it builds just like, you know, everything else builds in our program. It's a process, it takes time, and it takes a lot of trust in the relationship. And uh, I do more listening now than talking when I'm sponsoring because I get so much out of the relationship. The last thing I wanted to say is that the, the basic component is the desire. If the sponsee does not have the desire, then, of course, I stop there, you know. And I give them a lot of time and freedom just like I was given and leeway until it comes to a point sometimes I have to just, you know, move on and they do too. So thank you very much for allowing you to share.
0: Thank you for sharing, Linda. And it's time for one more share or two small, two short this shares. Lynette.
16: leah
0: Renee C. Okay, that's, me, I heard Leia and I heard someone else. Rina, oh, my. <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. I heard do. Was that do? Yes. Okay, do and then Leia.
17: Thank you. Um, good morning. This is do, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Well, wow, I love what the big book says, you know, never force yourself upon, you know, a person because, you know, either they're going to want to take it or leave it, and um, and that's the practical wisdom. What is wisdom? Knowing when to apply knowledge wisely, you know, knowing when to um, show up for a person or to stay away from a person, right? Um, if a person is telling me, no, I want to continue compulsive eating, maybe that person doesn't really want the solution, right? I, I want to, I want to continue, you know, um, doing what I want to do, and I, I'm really not interested in what you have to say, or maybe I don't want to show up to meetings, or maybe I don't want to do the work, um, you know. And it says wait, you know, wait wait while the person is going through the pain of, of going through their binging, you know. It's when they come out of that binge maybe that they're ready to listen, and when they go to meetings, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to introduce them to the big book. Um, or any other time, you know, they could have the book in their homes or, you know, or introduce the book some kind of way. And and there's plenty, plenty of opportunities to do that. Um, and, and that's what I do. You know, when I sponsor, um, the first thing I tell a sponsor is that, you know, I, I sponsor through the big book. I sponsor through the directions given in the big book so that, you know, they can benefit from that. And when they're ready, you know, then I take them through the steps. You know, first they have to be and Of course, we go through that and, you know, and we look at identifying their key food ingredients and if they really want to, they're going to do work, right? They're going to look at those key food ingredients and they're going to put down those key food ingredients and then they're going to be ready to follow the directions in the big book, um, you know, and, and that's how I sponsor, you know, it's that they need to be clear of those binge foods before they can take what we have to offer. And And the the good thing is they're in so much pain at that point in time that they're willing to do what it takes. And they usually are open to the suggestions in the big book and they're open to really understanding you know, what what these directions are. And I'm so grateful that, you know, my experience has been that, you know, as they go through this process, they get more and more clear, and, and they get more and more into the solution, and eventually they do recover, and it's just a wonderful thing. Some some people don't, but most people do, and, and that's the hope there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, too. And Leah,
0: you'll be our final share.
16: Thank you so much, Try to stay in a minute here. Um, Tell them how baffled you were. Show them the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. I mean, obviously, at this point, we're just introducing that aspect of the disease. You know that when I was in enough pain, even though the medical consequences were building up, even though my life was deteriorating on numerous levels, you know. My life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards, even though the pain was great. At some point, I would say, no more, no more binging, that's it, plug in the jug, I'm done, I'm never going to binge again. Uh, You know, comes a point a month later, a few weeks later, days later, hours later, where the best idea that I have is picking up that first bite over again. It's like I can't remember the compulsive overeating, all the humiliation, all the shame. I can't remember the tears that were shed. I can't remember the torture. All I can remember is that there is some ease and comfort that I get by digging my fist down a cellophane bag and a bakery box. And it's that kind of uh, identification, you know, sharing that all I ever wanted to be all those years, decades, was thin. All I wanted to be was thin, but all I ever wanted to do was eat. And a real compulsive overeater gets that. And once you have that connection, that language between one another, uh, a person's ears can open. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you
0: so much, Leah. And with that, I will say thank you to everyone who has shared this morning and um, would like to invite you to please join us for the second Unrecorded Hour of Study immediately following our closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the Serenity Prayer. And I will ask Kelly S. to read for us a vision for you beginning with our book is meant to be suggestive only. Kelly? Kelly, if you're there, we're not hearing you. All right. Rebecca, can I call on you to read that closing?
15: Sally, it's Rebecca.
0: Thank you, Rebecca. Can you read for us page 164?
5: of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.